Hi there, it's Daniel Eccles from the Learn Opportunity Podcast, and we have another conversation with Gwendolyn Eccles and I as we talk to Dr. Jeff Williamson. Now, Dr. Jeff Williamson, he would proclaim that he is a friend raiser, whatever that is, a friend raiser. Figure that out by listening to this episode. What is a friend raiser? Well, a friend raiser is Dr. Jeff Williamson. Uh, and he is the author of The Power of 168, which is a book about the economics of time. And we talked to him about that book along with his skill set of being a coach, mentor, and guide using and utilizing the Strength Finder assessment. The title for this one is How Do We Leverage Our Values, Our Strengths, in Order to Find Opportunity in Our Lives? How do we do that? Well, that's what this conversation will be about. And I think that you're going to have a, a lot of really great resources thrown your way that you can pick up and use and add to your toolkit. Take a little listen here to Dr. Jeff Williamson as he talks to us about leveraging our values to find opportunity. Hi there. Welcome to the Learned Opportunity Podcast. My name is Daniel. And my name is Gwendolyn. And we are here with Dr. Jeff Williamson, author of The Power of 168, a certified strengths coach, a mentor, a part-time professor at Olivet Nazarene University, and overall people developer. So this is, that's quite the introduction. Why don't you introduce yourself to listeners here, or Jeff? Sure. Thanks for having me. First of all, I appreciate it. A lot of times when people will say, what exactly do you do? One of my patented answers is, I'm a friend raiser. And that, that applies in so many areas of work that I do and have done over the years. And I'll leave that for a little later in the conversation, but I'm a friend raiser. I'm an, I try to be an encourager. I'm a maximizer. That's some of my, that's my top strength. So I really love investing in other people and helping them do things they want to do that sometimes they're not certain they can, mm -hmm. and I'm just sure they can. So I love to come alongside of them and help with those kind of things. You're a people developer. So how would you define people development? Sure. It plays out in a variety of ways. The, the most common one is that I do one-on-one -on -one executive coaching. And so as I'm working with leaders who want to get better or they're facing a challenge or an obstacle that they really just need someone to talk through things with and bounce ideas. So one is executive coaching, but also doing things like leadership development training for companies. I have a client right now that I go over there once a quarter for a couple of days and I do more of kind of the classroom type things for a part of a day. And then the rest of the time that I'm there, I'm usually doing like group coaching with a department or a director of a department or the team of the leaders there. So sometimes it's more of that in-person professional development. And then other times it's doing programs like this where someone will say, hey, could you come on and talk about the Power of 168? Could you come on and talk about conflict resolution who doesn't need that and so it's a it's a variety of things but that's the bulk of the types of things that that get wrapped up in people development you mentioned the book the power of 168 it's a a short little booklet that you mm -hmm. wrote it came out mm -hmm. of 
from my understanding from teaching graduate students. Was it doctoral level? Uh, yeah, it was. That... Yeah. Yeah. The story that really turned in years later, turned into the easy read that it is, was a student who was in the first week of the doctoral program and, and came up to me on a break during a week-long intensive and said, I, I just don't think I have time to do this. And as graciously as I could, I listened and I said, I, I think you do, but I'll explain what I mean by that. And we had a conversation then with the class about where does our time go and what are we really invested in? And when we say we don't have enough time, what does that really mean? And so that led into a, a, this organic 30-minute conversation with a group of about 15 graduate students. And, and so it, it seemed to resonate with them. The next year when I taught the same course with the next cohort, I did that on purpose rather than it just coming up. And so it, it emerged this annual talk that I gave to new students in the doctoral program. And someone would say, gosh, that was helpful. Have you ever recorded that? Have you ever written that down? And I thought, no, not really. Um, but eventually I did, of course. And so out of that came the short, it really started out as just, I was going to do an ebook because I thought, well, it's just this basic concept and um, that I can get it out there and try to help some people. And then people started saying, well, I'd really like a printed copy. I want to give it to my staff or I want to give it to some people I know that could use it. So then I ended up going ahead and print publishing it and putting it out there. And it's been fun just to just watch it emerge. So I'm looking at your cover right now. We have your book yeah. here and Daniel read it, but I am the listener's perspective. I have not read it yet. And I'm mm -hmm. looking the sure. power of 168 shaping moments. Um, what does yeah. that 168 mean? What is that part? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Each of us have 168 hours in every week. Okay. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was part of that organic conversation I had with that group of students. And I really can't tell you where it came from, but when my <laughs> student and I were having that discussion, I just, I, I guess I quick did the math and I thought, doggone it, we all have the same amount of time. There's got to be a better way than just, well, to see how it works out. And so I went in back to, the, mm -hmm. to that class mm -hmm. and I just wrote 168 on the board and I turned around and looked at them and said, anybody mm -hmm. know what this number is? Crickets. They didn't. So we think about 24 hours a day. We think about 365 days a year. But I didn't feel like anybody's talking about this week. If you get a handle on this week, then we can deal with 365 a year. So mm. that's the number. And uh, and again, it seemed to resonate with people. And I had students or, or folks send me a note after they bought the book and say, I posted number 168 on my bulletin board or on my mirror where I get ready in the morning. So I just remember that I'm, I'm in charge of my time. And I'm like, yay. So that's what the 168 is all about. We all get that no that's matter who we are. That's a great explanation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember that same feeling in graduate school for counseling. It was the first semester and it was before Thanksgiving when everything's locked and loaded and you have all of your big projects or, or papers for the coursework that's going to be coming up soon. And it's just like, how am I supposed to be working part-time, be a student <laughs> part-time and do anything else or any of the fun things? But I noticed... How many people have graduated and done this before me? There obviously is is a way that this happens that it, 
might feel overwhelming right now, but it's going to work out if I just stick to it. Yeah. So, and it's been fun to help people with that realization that hundreds upon hundreds of people have whatever program a person is in have done that successfully. So there has to be a way through. And it's been fun too, to have opportunity to work even with undergrads some. So I've done some conversations with undergrads. Uh, I'm going to have opportunity this fall to do a session with a, a team that has gotten the book this summer. Their coach bought a set, mailed it to them, and then I'm going to get together and we're going to spend some time working through the exact same thing you're talking about. I'm in school. I'm trying to get my degree. I'm an athlete. I have practice. I have morning workouts. I have games. I have professors. I have papers. I have all that stuff hitting me. How do I possibly get it all done at the level that I want to? And so that's why I think Apparently, that's why it's resonated with people, because it's just a simple, basic approach to say, hey, man, you got to look at the vision you have for your life. What are your values and what do you want your outcomes to be? And then it's like pruning the rose at some at some point in the process. We just can't do everything. So we have to figure out what it is that we have to have in our lives. You said that grad students have resonated with this, doctor students, even some undergrad. Have there been any like areas of people that maybe surprised you of who this book resonated with in addition to just people in school? Yeah. When we were getting ready to, to publish it, I sent it out to a variety of people, which is common, and said, please read this. Tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. And I had people who are 40, 50 years old saying, oh my gosh, I, where has this been? I, I needed this 20 years ago. So it seems like yeah. that challenge of what are my priorities? What are my goals? What do I want my time and my life to count for? Seems like it's not something we get over once we hit you know, 25 years old. And yeah, so I had professionals of all ages write me back and say, gee whiz, I needed to hear that. So that's been encouraging that it's both helping those approaching their career and then those that are maybe 20 years in saying, I just can't seem to get it all done. So the idea is not just time management, but it's the economics of time. Yeah. Um, you're budgeted a certain amount of yeah. time in a week. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. it's not to say that um, just because other people have done something, gotten through a graduate program, a doctorate, or balance being a, a single parent while working full-time or other things like that. Um, that's not to say that there aren't costs or opportunity sure. costs that are involved in that for sure. Uh, just mm -hmm. because it's possible, uh, you're going to have to figure out the values, the things that mm -hmm. are worth spending your exactly. budget of 168 on. So what kind of opportunity do you, do you see in this idea of the economics of time? Yeah. How do you make the most of that? Sure. Yeah. When folks sometimes will ask me, say, was this just like another time management book? And I'm like, Actually, mm -hmm. it's not, although it references a lot about time and 168 hours, but it's really more than it being just another old book about time management. What it's really about is to ask the reader to identify what their top values are, 
what are the things that they just do not want to do without in their life? And I'm talking about relationships with family and siblings or parents or children. And their, what do they want their impact to be? What do they want to, to leave behind, if you were? It's almost at times a legacy conversation. Because if mm. I'm thinking yeah. more about what are my values, what is most important to me, then what happens, I think, is we start thinking about what about those things that aren't on my most important list? Can I live with three hours less a week on Netflix? I could. Yeah, that's an option. Could I spend my time differently? That was one of the amazing things that I took that cohort through this conversation about where their hours went and we categorized them and identified, oh, you sleep this many hours and all the things that we all do. And we spent a good bit of time on it. And what wound up being the case was that this group collectively came up with all these important things that we should be spending our time on and allotted hours to each of them. There were about 20 to 25 hours that they couldn't come up with anything. 20 to 25 waking hours, not denying sleep, waking hours. They're like, they didn't know where it went. So I said, that 20 to 25 hours, doctoral students, that's where you have time to read and write and research and be a successful person in this program. So that's where we, we start looking at the time, but we really move the focus to what if your what's your vision for what you want the future to look like and how do you represent your values with what you give your time to and that's then when we come back to the economics of time if we think of time as currency what are we willing to spend it on there's good things that we can burn time on it doesn't necessarily mean that it's things that are on the priority list of my life and so we have to make some hard decisions one thing that I had a question for you about had to do with, there's this idea of time. You might have Netflix for three hours. You don't necessarily need that. But then if you get rid of that and you add something else onto your schedule that might exert more effort, uh, it might take more energy. How do you find that balance between, yeah. yes, you have available time, but we also have mm -hmm. limits uh, when yeah. it comes to energy, motivation, things along those lines. Yeah, it won't surprise you that I'm going to bring in the whole strengths approach here because you know I love strengths. And that is, let's to take that <laughs> example, let's say, uh, yeah, you knew I would. <laughs> let's say I, okay, I'm going to carve out those three hours a week that I give to Netflix or to something that would consider optional. The way that I don't just fill that gap again with something else and wind up right back where I am is when we take that look at what do I value? What do I want my impact to be? Then if I spend that hour on something that I'm especially gifted in, if I spend that the, those three hours investing in coaching someone or mentoring someone who's going through a tough time, maybe a college student, maybe a friend, when I'm doing those things that I'm the best at, it isn't really a trade-off of some kind of entertainment for some other kind of entertainment. It's trading off that entertainment. There's nothing wrong with it probably, but then I can invest that into a relationship or a team of people that I'm trying to lift up and encourage. 
Now I'm energized by that. My bucket's filled, to borrow an old Don Clifton phrase. And he said, we fill our bucket by filling other people's buckets, if you will. So the idea of the the bank account that fill it or empty it. For me, it's that it goes back to that question. If I give up three hours of something that I've decided is optional in my life, if I put it into something that I'm really passionate about and really gifted in, it's going to be so much joy. That's a completely different use of that time. You don't just spend $3 and then get it back and then spend it again, on something that is not worth your investment. Exactly. And I think one of the things that I love the most about going back to being a a friend raiser, being a people developer, is that every minute I spend investing or help in someone else or helping them develop or helping them grow, that multiplies a hundred times, maybe not immediately, but it multiplies because If I help someone to grow and learn and adjust something that they're struggling with, then I, my hope and my assumption is they're going to do that for other people. And so that hour or two that I invest in someone, it multiplies over and over again. And so it goes back to the economics and currency comparison. We talk about time is if I'm leveraging my impact by giving to other people and therein give to other people. Now the the reach of the good that I can do is really exponential. You mentioned you were going to bring in strengths that you, you really mm-hmm. like strengths. Can you tell oh, listeners about what are strengths? Yeah, what? I'd be happy to. You knew that. <laughs> yeah. I've, I have been working with, with the strengths assessment now over 20 years. And it's an assessment that was developed by Dr. Don Clifton. And I think it first came out around 1998. And it's a product that the Gallup organization has really built the bulk of their business model around in terms of teaching, training, assessing, certifying data information that all relate to what is it that we are most uniquely gifted in. And it identifies 34 different areas of strength that every one of us have. And most of us have faced scenarios in our life far too often where the focus winds up being on what's wrong. What do we need to fix? Or what is he not very good at? So we can make him do that all day long. So he won't be so terrible at that. Dr. Clifton believed that we had it wrong. It was upside down. And as a mental health practitioner, he said, we we want to study health and wellness to help people get healthy and well, rather than flipping it and just looking what's wrong with them. So they rolled out this assessment about 1998. And I actually had the opportunity to use the assessment in my doctoral study that I did from 2000 to 2002. And so ever since then, I I tell people I'm a strengths junkie and I don't want to quit. (laughs) I've seen how the tool is such a game changer for people over and over again. And now 20 years later, I'm able to see whether it's coaching or training or teaching that it, it resonates with people and it helps them to identify the best things about them. So that instead of me saying, oh, Daniel and Gwendolyn, you're really great at this, but we need you over. And people's employee engagement, their joy at work, their joy in general is so closely tied to that unique gifting that each of us have. And I'm getting excited just telling you about it. After 20 years, I've never grown weary of seeing 
what it does in people's heart and in their mind when they can adjust their mindset and go, wait a minute, you're telling me I have this unique and powerful strength set that I can use and work in my life and relationships with this whole life integration. I'm like, yeah. The amazing thing among those 34 strengths that it identifies, the, the typical, you get a report and a summary of your top strengths. It, it gives you your top five after you take the assessment. You can get the full 34, but that's a more in-depth, complex conversation. But when people get their top five and they look at those, they often will say, this is like looking in a mirror. And, and a lot of assessments can be that way. Here's the differentiator for me. When people will say, I don't want to be put in a box. I don't want to be stereotyped. Oh, you're an introvert extrovert or, oh, you're an INFP or you're an ESTJ. If you're talking Myers-Briggs, there's an amazing number that the Gallup people came up with a few years ago, and they're pretty good at math and data. So they looked at all the possible combinations of 34 strengths that were possible, mathematically possible. And then they cross-sectioned that with the 22, 23 million people globally that have already taken the assessment. And what they came up with was a number that is the likelihood of another person having your top five strengths in the exact same order. That number is one in 33 million. So... Mm. (laughs) To me, that that tells us that people say, I don't want to be put in a box. I'm like, hey, I get that. I don't either. Can you live with being one in 33 million? That's a very big box if it's a box. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) that's a lot of boxes or that's a big box. And so that just the mathematical reality of that helps them to go, oh, gosh. So I actually am this wonderfully unique person with a a set of gift strengths and talents that I'll probably live my whole life and never meet someone. It's possible, but likely, no, that I'll meet someone with my exact set of strengths. And even if they did, they, they play out differently because the six through 34 are going to be different. So I think I love it for that aspect too, that it just beautifully identifies that you know what the world needs is Daniel and Gwendolyn to be the very best of who they are and to show up there as their best selves and for me to show up as my best self. And I think that's why I still am passionate 20 years later, because I've just seen how it almost like people feel like they have permission to be themselves, not in a negative way, but in, Oh, I have something to offer. I can do the things that I am most uniquely gifted and and interested in. And it, it can be a value to other people. I can lift them up being the best me I possibly can. So I'm like, man, I'm all for that. So <laughs> love it. All right, here you go, Jeff. Going. My top five <laughs> are developer, belief, restorative, context, and mm-hmm. woo. How do mm-hmm. I leverage those strengths to help me mm-hmm. to find and create opportunity? in my personal mm-hmm. and professional life. First of all, how long do you have? <laughs> but, but as long as it's on the spot. Yeah, a little on the spot coaching. First of all, when we think about what are my top five, it's a win that you can name them. You've committed them to memory. Because I've always said to people, you can't use something in your toolkit, a hammer or a saw or whatever, if you can't find it. So when someone Mm. takes the assessment Mm. and learns what their top five strengths are, if they know those and they can commit them to memory, that means they're more top of mind. And that's very important because Mm -hmm. 
when they're more top of mind and we, we have that awareness, we can utilize them. So you mentioned woo, I think was your number five. So you might call upon that more in, in a given situation than you might somewhere else. And so when we have those top strengths in that five, there are, we don't need all of them all the time. And so developer, you mentioned that one. That's another one. That's going to play out perhaps different for you when you're working with someone as a mental health professional, as you're working with someone helping them through a process or something they've experienced. And so I often think of those, if you think of a, a quiver of arrows or a bouquet with different flowers in them or something, it's you need different ones at different times. And the developer in you might really be at your best in that one-to-one client conversation. The woo in you might be at your best when you're at some kind of business gathering or some kind of event where you help people feel connected and help people feel welcome because you're woo. You can make it around to the 30 people in the room within 10 minutes. And so I think that's part of it is that we, if we know our strengths, which you do, then we can call upon them when we need them most as we're in different situations and contexts. Does that make sense? It does. I have a challenge mm-hmm. for you. Oh, um, okay. I'll watch out. I, I <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Strengths. Now. Okay. I took it when I was in my undergrad, probably my junior year, I think. From my junior year till when I took it next, I had finished my undergrad. I had moved across the country to Oregon. I had tried out one career, switched to another career, gotten a master's degree, a formational process in an additional area than my that opened up a new career opportunity. I moved back to the Midwest. I got one job that was a stepping stone, and then I landed in a Mm -hmm. job that really paired my undergrad and my master's degree, and then I retook Mm -hmm. the test. So a lot of life changes, pivotal years of growth. and Mm -hmm. Very formational. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked that I think two or three of my top five strengths changed. Achiever stayed number one, and I wasn't surprised Mm -hmm. by that. Mm-hmm. But I gained learner and mm-hmm. I did resonate with that. Mm-hmm. And there were a few others, but I was shocked just mm-hmm. by that change. Does, is that normal? Mm-hmm. Do you see that often? Mm-hmm. Um, just mm-hmm. curious. Yeah. Yeah. But A, that's a common question that I get is, gosh, I took okay. it a couple of times and it was a few years apart. Why does it change? Yeah. For one thing is that going going back to the illustration we were just talking about is that we call on different strengths when we need them the most. And if, if yeah. it's like most people with the first time you took it back in your undergrad, you probably just got the top five report, right? Rather than the full 30. Yes. And what will often happen is we don't really have an awareness of what that six, seven, eight, nine, ten are unless we, we really get that full 34 report. So sometimes the easiest way to describe it is like, for example, your learner. That may that was probably mm-hmm. a top 10 anyway. And man, you had to work that muscle because you went through a graduate program, you went through a lot of change, you went through a lot of learning, right? And so you called on that strength Correct. more and that, <laughs> that helped to elevate a bit. It sounded like it was a learning experience okay. in a lot of ways. 
And that's one piece that I would respond to that. The other is when you look at the 34 strengths that Gallup has identified in that assessment, there are subdivision, there are four subgroups, which are strategic thinking themes, executing things, themes, influencing Mm -hmm. themes and relationship building themes. And so sometimes someone will take it in their top five, maybe they had strategic in their top five, and then they retake it years later and, oh, now I have learner. Okay, guess what? Strategic Mm -hmm. thinking and learning are both in the bundle of strategic thinking themes. So they're what I call, they're like first cousins from the same family. So they interact very closely and they're very similar. So when you call on them, man, I need my learning muscles these last few years. Then they may elevate a bit and you'll see a bit of adjustment in your top five. So that's not Mm -hmm. unusual to see some shift. But often it'll be within that same quadrant of strengths that you trade. Looks like I traded one out for another or something like that. So I do remember that for, no, it did. You reminded me that Mm -hmm. four out of my five top strengths, the first round I took it, were all in the executing category. And Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa. No wonder Get her done, I sister, come off with right? a strong personality sometimes. <laughs> I know. And <laughs> then that dispersed. So mm. the second time I took it, it mm. leveled out. And I would at least mm. resonate that I mm. I have maybe learned a little bit of how to tone that down. <laughs> Most of us do if we survive. I feel, though, that maybe spreading it out is still getting you to mm. the same goal as... Mm-hmm what your number one strength has remained, which has been achiever. Mm -hmm. And in order to achieve, to get through school and through undergrad and everything, you maybe had to use a lot of your executing strengths. Mm -hmm. But then after you're done with Mm -hmm. the traditional school years and after college Mm -hmm. and you're doing graduate work Mm -hmm. and now you're entering the workforce and you get married and other things, what it means to achieve is going to use other arrows in your quiver. Yeah. that you're going to need for specific exactly. tasks. But if but the goal, I feel like for you didn't change. It hmm. was how do I use these strengths and these opportunities to achieve Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. overall? I can see that because one of my strengths that did change when I took it in my undergrad, I had relational and I went to Olivet. I went to a university mm-hmm. that really encouraged relationships and building relationships and having one-on-ones. And that was a value of leadership. And Mm -hmm. I think some of the cultures I've been in after that, it maybe wasn't as much of a value. So maybe Mm -hmm. I I left that alone in my quiver, my bouquet of flowers Mm -hmm. a little bit, if I didn't need that Mm -hmm. for the day-to-day and Mm -hmm. some of my other seasons. bouquet of flowers. Yeah, I really like the flower Mm -hmm. one. I like that analogy. Yeah, yeah, whichever one works for you. Yeah, I I think, (laughs) and I think, and you made a good point too, is that I think we bundle some of our top strengths based on what we need from ourselves at that time. You had mentioned Cheever. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned Achiever was consistent, right, at the top. Yep. That's a strong one, especially in the United States. I, I have a chart of most frequent strengths by different nations. And it's very interesting because achiever is the most common strength at number one for Americans, period. And that is, but yet there are other countries and other cultures. It's not the same. 
because they have different cultural mm. values. They may be more of a collectivist society where it's like, what's good for us is what's good for them, all of us rather than me, which is a, that individualistic kind of mindset maybe that can mm. be a little more common maybe in the United States than elsewhere. Yeah, it's a fascinating side-by-side sure. side of what the top strength is in these different continents of the world. Really fascinating. But Achiever, you're not alone. That's strong, and it's the most frequent one. Who knew? Yeah, It yeah. makes sense here. Jeff it, knew. Jeff knew. <laughs> I, got all kinds of, I got all kinds of stuff when it comes to this. I've got graphs and charts and data that would just drive you nuts, but it's fascinating to me. I love it. So just a, a little synopsis of what I've been hearing from this. So opportunity, how we can find and create it. It comes from mm -hmm. first knowing your tool set of how to get there and the areas of opportunity that you are particularly mm -hmm. gifted in. And then also opportunity comes from not just managing your resources of time or the economics of time, but also knowing what you value, which is very connected with your strengths mm -hmm. and pursuing those things that are going to be giving you meaning, purpose, mm -hmm. and the things that you value. That's how you find and create opportunity, not just yes. managing the, the tools and the resources. Absolutely. Do you have any resources or tools, things that you think that listeners should take a look at in order to help them find and create opportunities? Sure. Obviously, me being a, a self-acclaimed strengths junkie, if they have not taken the strengths assessment, I, I really encourage them to do it's 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 a tool that that really is utilized both individually and, and in companies and in in the world. For example, over 90 percent of the Fortune 500 companies use strengths assessment as a part of their development package for their employees. So it's very prominent and common in, in global businesses, but it also has that impact and that, that strength in their individual lives. That's why I like to call it a whole life approach. It, it isn't just, oh, I can part, this really works in work, but not so much over here in my life and family, because it, it, we can come back to those values that we talked about. And, and so certainly, and there are other really good assessments that are out. Some of them are more heavily researched and data-based than others. And I won't name them because sure as I do, I'll, somebody will fuss at me because they don't think I spoke highly enough of their favorite Somebody assessment. in your inbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't need those kind of emails, but there are a lot of good assessments out there. And I think in general, if we work to identify those best things about us, to identify those things that represent best who we are, with whatever assessment they are. And then I would just, you know, encourage people to take that and, and realize that it's not absolute gospel, but it's, it's just helpful to mm -hmm. have, because as we grow in self-awareness, I think our emotional intelligence elevates and we're able to see ourselves maybe in a better light than uh, we did before. And any kind of assessment or reflection that they can do is going to be a boost. And then I, I have a, a group of close friends, four or five people that I just call them my personal board of directors. When I need to <laughs> think through something or I need to make a really difficult decision or the implications are significant, I'll maybe round those people up or have four or five cups of coffee with each of them individually and say, hey, here's something I'm, I'm thinking through and I really want your feedback. 
And I really encourage people to do that. I believe we're built for community. And, and if we go through whatever we go through in isolation or alone or feeling that way, we're probably not going to make as good of decisions mm -hmm. or choices as we would if we have mm -hmm. a sounding board or someone to say, I don't know if that's a really good idea or not. <laughs> because then when we have that foundation relationship, then we can say, I feel like it's a pretty good, why are you feeling like it's a bad idea? And then being, having the humility to listen to them, assess, learn about yourself, be willing to take feedback from people that are close to you. I think those are all things that can help us to just identify what our special space in this world is and what are those opportunities that align with my best gifts and align with the things that I do best. Because if we're living in that, we're going to be experiencing joy that's going to be visible and tangible to other people. Mm -hmm. And then we get to tell them why it is we love our work so much. It's because it brings us joy. Listeners, I'll put a link in the bio for this episode for Gallup Strengths Finders so that you can look that up a little bit more, go to the website, check it out. I know that I've enjoyed learning more about it and taking the assessment myself. And I think that's a, a good tool. I'm also going to make sure that the power of 168 is in the notes for the show as well, so that you can uh, go on Amazon or uh, another provider and pick up that. It's a short read, so it shouldn't take you too long, but it is uh, full of useful information that I think you'll enjoy. So those are, are two things. And then Jeff, how do listeners connect with you if they would like to? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, they can go to my website, which is www.coachmentorguide.com. All lowercase, just like it sounds, coachmentorguide.com. And there they can drop a message if they want to have a conversation. They can hop on Calendly and schedule a time with me. Or they can just look at the resources there. There are quite a few videos, several blogs that I've written over the last couple of years. And they can just skate around and learn more and say, what is it this guy does? And what, what else going on here? So they can look <laughs> at the website and, and learn more and then reach out if they want to continue the conversation. Wonderful. They can figure out what a friend raiser is. There you go. Absolutely. Um, I'd be glad to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, was there anything that we missed? Any questions that you wish that we would have asked you? No, I, I think you guys did your homework, man. I could tell you actually <laughs> read the book, which thank you for that. <laughs> Using the economy of time, I'm like, man, he read it. I love that. So <laughs> thanks thanks for doing your homework ahead of time. This, this has been a lot of fun and it's been good to catch up with you guys and talk. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and spending some time with us and giving me a little bit of uh, coaching on my strengths, too. That's <laughs> that, a little pro bono work there. Yeah, I thanks appreciate for the feedback. That. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much for, for listening to the Learn Opportunity Podcast today. Please, if you would, go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can leave a five-star review and let us know what you think our strengths are by <laughs> writing a five-star review and listing some of the strengths there in, in that review. That would be really appreciated and that would help us to get the word out for this podcast to more people who need to learn how to find and create opportunities in their own lives and that they are each gifted and have their own strengths that they need to learn and figure out too more arrows for 
their quiver of flowers for their bouquet. So join us next time as we find and create more opportunities for more people. I'm Daniel. And I'm Gwendolyn. Have a good rest of your whatever week, weekend. We'll just see you soon. The Learned Opportunity Podcast has been brought to you by Ecclesia Counseling Services, LLC, providing mental health and career counseling to the greater Indianapolis area. Perhaps you're anxious or maybe you're unsure about the future of your career, or you feel that you're not living the life that you were meant to. Whatever your needs may be, Ecclesia Counseling Services is here to offer support. Check us out online at Ecclesia Indy, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, INDY.com.